الحمدللہ وکفا وسلام علی عباده الذین استفا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم یا ایها الذین آمنوا اتقوا الله وكونوا مع الصادقین سبحان ربک رب العزت اما یصفون وسلام علی المرسلین والحمد لله رب العالمین اللهم صل علی سیدنا محمد وعلى آل سیدنا محمد ومبارک وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم This session today is to introduce us to one way to understand this meaning of this ayah Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran ya ayyuhalladhina amanu o you who have iman o you who believe ittaqullaha that you should fear Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala and be aware of him and conscious of him all the time وَكُونُوا مَا الصَّادِقِينَ and you should join your being with the صَادِقِينَ so last night we also explained this concept of who are the صِدِّقِينَ and صَادِقِينَ they are those people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Qur'an al-Kareem has taught us that we must make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us towards them actually there are four sources of hidayah in our deen one source of hidayah are the نَبِيِّينَ And through them we learn the Qur'an al-Kareem and the Sunnah of Nabi al-Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Second source of hidayah, source of hidayah is called the Siddiqeen. Third source of hidayah are the Shuhada. And fourth source of hidayah are the Salihin. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala taught us in Qur'an to make dua, اِهْدِنَ السِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant me hidayah, guide me to Sirat al-Mustaqeem, to the straight path. What path is that? Sirat al-ladheena an'amta alayhim The path of those people The path of those people upon whom you have showered your blessings Your in'amat have come on those people So it means that hidayah comes from people Hidayah does not come from books Hidayah does not come from words Even if it is Kalamullah and Kalam Rasulullah If we try to understand Qur'an without the people of Qur'an If we try to understand Qur'an without the Mufassireen If we try to understand Qur'an without the people whose lives have been transformed and are living that Qur'an We cannot get Hidayah from Qur'an That's why Allah SWT in the beginning of Qur'an also said ذَلَكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا This is a book in which there is no doubt in it but hudan and it is a book of guidance lil muttaqin it's not going to be a guidance just based on the books or the words it's not going to be a book it's not going to be a book where you get guidance just from one's uncle a person's guidance is going to be based on their taqwa so hudan lil muttaqin So how does a person get that taqwa? Well that was the ayah
you can even turn it off here and just keep it under the window. That's also possible. Check if the women's meticent, either bankran or karivanja. Right? Check. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran that how will you get that taqwa if the book is a book of hidayah, Quran al-Kareem is hudan lil-muttaqeen, so that means it's a hidayah for the people of taqwa, how do you get that taqwa, kunu ma sadiqeen, you get that taqwa by being in the company of the sadiqeen, so it shows that our deen is about people, that path is about people. Then Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Alladina Anamallahu that those whom Allah Subhanahu sent his blessings, they are Minanabeen from the Prophets and Messengers, was Siddiqeen and those truest followers of Allah Subhanahu and the Prophets, was Shuhada was Salihin and the martyrs and the righteous ones. That's why like we explained last night, that anybody who tries to tell you that all you need is the Quran and Hadith, they are wrong. They are going against Quran. If they tell you that all you need is Quran and Hadith and you don't need anyone, it's outright against Quran because Allah Ta'ala says you need Alladina an Amta Alayhim. You need people. Without the people, you will never be able to become on Sirat Mustaqim because it is a path of people. Without Siddiqeen and Salihin, you will never be able to become in Sirat Mustaqim because Allah Ta'ala defined Sirat Mustaqim in Quran as the path of the Nabiyeen, Siddiqeen, Shuhada and Salihin. Nabiyeen are all gone from this world. Shuhada by definition are gone from this world. So the two types of people who remain in this world until the end of time are the Siddiqeen and the Salihin. So this whole day then is to share with you what happens when you do kunuma sadiqin. Why? Because then the question arises that well, what are these teachings of sidq? What are these teachings of truth that these truthful mu'mineen bring us to? So alhamdulillah we had the opportunity recently to spend seven, eight, nine days with our shaykh. And in that he conducted a series of talks. So actually today we are just reproducing absolute knuckle to you what we were taught. So you can see real live example of what it is that a person learns when they go in the company of Sadiqeen. So for example, our Shaykh is one of those Sadiqeen. And Alhamdulillah, some of our own friends and students from here, they were also present and they've recorded it and they're in the process of uploading it. But Seems to be taking some time. So I'm going to give you a summary of that. I won't be able to say every single thing, obviously, in one day. But I will, inshallah ta'ala, give you a summary of that. And then hopefully that will interest you enough that when those recordings are uploaded, you will download and listen to them in entirety. But then you will be able to understand. And this will also open the big mystery question that unfortunately a lot of false ideological movements are spreading all over the world and rapidly spreading in Karachi that you don't need Siddiqeen and Sadiqeen and what do they teach you and who knows what goes on. And it's some type of secret cult or some type of mysterious dogma. So we're going to openly reveal it for you today. And you're going to listen to the in even more detail on the website open to the public. So you get to see that what are these teachings? 
This is the purpose of today. Second thing that we want to tell you before we begin is that this Sidq, Sidq, this being amongst the Siddiqeen and Sadiqeen has to do with feelings. Not just appearance, not just words, but it has to do with feelings. And the feelings, what are called spiritual feelings, they come from a person's qalb. Qalb is the heart of their ruh. So what are these teachings of the heart? What are these teachings of the heart that will be transmitted from heart to heart? Because that is the way that we have changed in our deen. That is the way that we change in our deen. This is the way of the Siddiqeen and Sadiqeen. Even I think here in Karachi we explained to you last time that we came that all of the teachings of the Siddiqeen are transferred from heart to heart. An example we gave you I think last time was of the first Tabi. The first Tabi, who is that person who first becomes a Tabi? That person who just missed seeing Sayyidina Rasulullah May have heard about the Prophet may have met somebody who was a Sahaba, made niyyah that, okay, let me also go to Medina Manawra and take Iman. And then when he arrives in Medina Manawra, he sees everybody is crying. He sees an emotion of sadness and loss, the like of which he has never witnessed or imagined in his entire life. And first he is just overwhelmed by that experience. And then he stops to ask some person that I've come because it will be apna jazba lekaraya. He's come with his own feeling of extreme yearning and desire. So he asks some person that where is that prophet and messenger because I've come to take iman in him. And that person will respond that that prophet and messenger just passed away from this earth a few minutes ago. Allah Akbar. You just missed being a sahaba. That's called the first tabi. So now what is the tabi going to do? Is he going to take the words of the Prophet ﷺ? Is he going to compile some texts? Is he going to take away his Seha Sitta or his Bukhari Sharif? Is that what he's going to get? Has he come for words? No. He's come for feelings. What are the Sahaba going to give him? Are they going to give him his not their notebooks and say these are the words? Are they going to give them their recorder and say these are the recordings? Huh? The wordings and recordings aren't what's going to be given. They're going to say, if you want to get from us what we got from him, sallallahu alayhi sallam, then what we got from him was feelings. If you want to get those feelings from us, you will have to do suhbah. Kunu ma'as-sadiqeen. You will have to spend time with us, live with us, associate with us. Like we spent time with him and lived with him and associated with him, sallallahu alayhi sallam. That is how the feelings will be passed. And the same thing is true between the Tabin and the Tabai Tabin. And the very same thing is true of the Sahaba and Sayyidina Rasulullah himself. So whether from Sayyidina Rasulullah to Sahaba, from Sahaba to Tabin, from Tabin to Tabai Tabin, the real lesson of these three generations of Salaf Salihin is that it's all about Suhbatu Sadiqeen. It's all about getting the feelings from those who have truer feelings than we do. That is what it means. And that is our biggest problem today, is that we don't have those feelings. We know the words of Islam, we know the descriptions of Islam, some of us may even have knowledge and know deep meanings about certain things in Islam, but what we're lacking is those feelings. All those wonderful feelings that we read about in Quran, whether it's taqwa or it's sabr or it's shukr or ikhlas, right? 
or the feeling of dhikr, tabattul, all of these feelings, we know them, but we don't have them. And deen came to earth, was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to produce human beings with these feelings. To give hidayah, hudallil muttaqeen, to give hidayah to people who have feelings. So the way of the siddiqeen is what does it mean how to be a true Muslim? It means how to truly feel like a Muslim. How to truly be a heartfelt Muslim. To have a heart that truly feels Islam. This is what we learn from our Mashaikh. This is what we wanted to share with you today. So now we will begin. The first thing is uh, niyyah. So I did mention some of these, few of these things last night. Okay, I will give you some different stories today so you understand. Sayyidina Rasulullah said, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ That indeed actions are based on intentions. Intention is a feeling. The ulama say that niyyah is amal al-qalb, fi'l al-qalb. It's an action of the heart. It's a state of heart. It's a hal. It's a condition of the heart. It's an outlook. Niya isn't some sentence that you remind yourself of in your brain. That may trigger the intention. That's not the intention itself. That's a trigger. The real intention is a feeling, an outlook of the heart. It's an amal of the kalb. Now a person has to learn how to do that. Like we explained to you yesterday that Hatim al-Asam Ta'ala said that I spent eight years with my shaykh just to learn how to make a proper niyyah. One example that we didn't give you last night is that once a shaykh was invited by one of his students to his house and, and he made a new house and then he was showing a shaykh the way he had designed his house. So the shaykh asked him that this window over here, why did you make this window? So the student said, I made this window so that I would get light and air. So that I would get fresh air and I would get sunlight. So the shaykh said, no, you should have made niya. You should have made intention that because of this window, I'm making this window so I can hear the sound of the mu'adhan when he calls adhan. So the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahu Akbar, ashadu an la ilaha illallah, ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu etc. should come into my ears multiple times a day. If you had made that niyyah, as long as this window is there and you are alive, you would get so up. And you would get air and light anyway. <laughs> you will get air and light anyway. Uh, what is that? That's a feeling. Somebody has to have a certain feeling. You're not going to be able to think of that with your mind. It's going to have to be a feeling. Their feeling was that they connected everything back to Allah Then sometimes niya can change the nature of an act. So there was a great muhaddith, his name was Sheikh Al-Adiz, Mulana Muhammad Zakaria Ramtale. His father, his name was Mulana Muhammad Yahya Khanlivi Ramtale. So Mulana Yahya Khanlivi Ramtale, when it was summertime, he used to go and sit in like a well, and people would pour 30, 40, 50 buckets of water on him, and he would take a bath that way. So one of the locals in the area was a Sufi, and he went to this muhaddith, Mulana Yahya Ramtale, and he said that this is israf. This is israf. It means it's so wasteful use of water. Because if you want to take a bath and three, four, five buckets is enough, and you are sitting there and 30, 40, 50 buckets are being poured on you, and you yourself teach us that israf, uh, waste is wrong. 
So the Malana Yakinata used to tell him that yes, for you it is wrong and for me it is sawab. <laughs> for you it is israf and for me it is sawab. And this used to keep happening few days in the summer. And then one day the Sufi couldn't understand. He said, Malana Shaykh, tell me, what do you mean? So he said, it's niya. He says, because you come with the niya for ghusl, for bathing, for cleaning yourself from dirt and impurity, so cleanliness can be acquired to two, three buckets. So for you, if your niya is to make yourself clean, to use more than two, three, four buckets is israf. But my niya wasn't to come to clean myself. My niya was to cool myself down in this heat of the summer so that I could spend more and more time teaching and writing and studying the hadith, even in the heat of the summer. Allah Akbar. So he said, because my niya is something else, is to get coolness, tandak hasil karnege. So then for me, 30-40 buckets is sawab. <laughs> Allah Akbar. So in the ma'amal bin sometimes the intention that a person makes changes the nature of that action. Then like we also mentioned to you last night, that there are many actions that we do that could have been ibadah, but because we don't have that niyyah, that intention, we don't get that thawab. So let me give you a new example. Many times when people have a baby, or some of their relatives have a baby, so they like to hold that baby, and snuggle with that baby, and cuddle with that baby, because they like that newborn baby smell, right? So they're doing something for their own tabi, tabi pleasure, for their own personal enjoyment and pleasure. But actually Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned hadith that the smell of the newborn baby is the smell of paradise. Now if a person had known this hadith and they made niyyah that I'm not just personally enjoying the smell, but I'm enjoying this because this is the fragrance of Jannah and Ya made dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just like you have let me smell that fragrance, a likeness of that fragrance in this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let me smell that fragrance in the Akhirah. So there are people of niyyah, there are people of outlook, of awareness, of consciousness, of understanding. They had a very different way of looking at everything in this world. Another example is that many people, they change their clothes when they go to sleep. What we call pajamas, and what you in Pakistan English call night suit. Huh? Night suit, jakarpena. Hmm? So to change the clothes when you sleep, that is actually sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam that he used to change many times, not every night, but many times he used to change into a different clothing as sleepwear. Now if you do that, and you don't make that intention right, then you won't get any thawab. But if you make niya that, Ya Allah, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam used to do this, I'm doing it with the niyat of ittibai sunnah. Then you can be near that Allah spent time taking off the clothes I used for work and maybe I did some sin or I was in some ghafla and now I'm putting on these night clothes as ittiba'i is sunnah. So Allah Ta'ala I'm going to feel like I'm sleeping blanket wrapped in the sunnah. Of that person who goes to sleep with that feeling that they're blanket wrapped in the sunnah, they'll be able to wake up for dhajjah. They'll be able to wake up for fajr jamaat. It's a feeling. These people were people of feelings. Niyyah is about the feeling in the kalb. Subhanallah. This is the feeling that they would have. Then people eat every day, many times a day. Up till now we ate because we are hungry. And that was a bodily need. 
of Sayyidina Rasulullah once there was a Sahaba and what was he doing? He used to fast all day and he was making ibadah all night and his wife Sahabiya went to Sayyidina Rasulullah complained about husband. So Muridas also sometimes do itibai Sahabiyat. Huh? Yes, Sahabiya she went to Sayyidina Rasulullah and complained about husband that he's fasting all day and he's worshipping all night. So Sayyidina Rasulullah he called him and he told him many things of that, one of the things he told him, وَلِنَفْسَكَ عَلَيْكَ حَقٌ That your own body and self has rights over you. Which means you need to sleep. So actually then if we eat and we just remember, even don't have to remember literally the Arabic words, but we have that consciousness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm not just eating out of this primal need for food, <coughs> but I'm eating because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you, through your beloved messenger, you told me that my body has a right on me. So I'm eating out of fulfilling the rights of my body to make myself pleasing to you. That's a different way of eating. Or if a person says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm eating so that I get energy, so that I can do your ibadah. That's a different way of eating. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm eating so that the, the atoms of my body that I used in sin will be replaced by these new atoms that will be generated from the food that I eat because that's the physiological nature of your body that you keep losing cells and keep generating cells from the that's why you keep needing to eat this is a different way of eating it's a niyat so a person who makes an intention like that then even the basic act of eating is going to be an act of thawab for them so this is the power of intention then at this point our Shaykh mentioned the story of a great Shaykh, Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani Namtane, to show you also that if you make a bad intention, it can lead to a very bad outcome. So Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani Namtane was one of the greatest awliyaullah of this ummah who lived in Baghdad. And once three people were traveling, met together and were traveling to go meet him. But each and every one of them had their own intention. First person was going to the Shaykh with what intention? That I have a problem in my business and my risk. I have a business problem. So I've heard that Shaykh is a big wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I will go and visit the Shaykh and ask the Shaykh to make dua for my business problem. That was his niya. Second person's intention was that I have heard, I've also heard that he's a big Shaykh and a big wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I'm going to visit him because I want to check and see is he really a big Shaykh and wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And third person said that I've also heard that he's a big shaykh and wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I'm going to visit him because if he is a big wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to learn from him how to make myself pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of all three of different intentions. And all three met the shaykh. And then one by one all three of them went home. The person who went to get that dua, he got the dua and his business problem was solved. But that's all he got. The second one who went, who wanted to check out whether Shaykh was a big Shaykh, it's written in the books that he went home and before he died, later in his life, he even gave up his Iman, he became murtad, he apostated from Deen of Islam. He lost his very Iman. Allah Akbar. This is Sahih Sayyidina Rasulullah said that that person who has enmity or bughs towards any one of my awliya, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declares war on such a person. Allahu Akbar. Ajeeb. It's my niyat, my niyat recently was to gather together for you all of the ahadith about the Siddiqin. 
this is something that has been kept from you by the people who claim to follow and teach hadith. What does it mean? The hadith is the tafsir and tashri of Quran. The word siddiqeen, sadiqeen is in Quran. The alamat in tarif, the definition and description and attributes and sifat of those siddiqeen are mentioned in Quran or mentioned in sahih hadith. And if you were to put all those sahih hadith together, you would see who these siddiqeen are and they definitely still live in this world. And there are such people that if a person has enmity and plots against them, Allah SWT declares war against them. A Sahih in Abu Dawood, that Allah SWT said that there's, uh, Sayyidina Rasulullah said that there are such people that when they say something with their tongue, Allah SWT fulfills their word. They're so true, that they're so beloved to Allah SWT, if I was to gather all these 100% Sahih you would see the whole description of Siddiqui. And it's been kept from you. You have been taught that you don't need these Siddiqui and awliya at all. It's any Quran and any Sunnah. Allahu Akbar Kabira. And then the third person who had gone to Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jalani Naftali. And he said that I had also heard that he was a great wali and a great shaykh. So I want to go to him to learn how to make myself more pleasing to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. So he spent time with the shaykh. And because that was his mukhlis khalis niyyah, he was able to learn how to become more pleasing to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. And then when he left, his shaykh put upon him the responsibility to teach others how to make themselves more pleasing to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. So all of them did the same action but with different intention. That the outcome of actions is going to be determined by the intentions that we have behind those actions. So in another hadith, Sayyidina Rasulullah said that there will be some gatherings where people from different cities, different backgrounds, different languages, different communities get together. And they gather to one place to remember Allah SWT to earn His pleasure. Allah SWT will send a sakina, a sukoon into their hearts. So our niya for being here today is exactly this. The words of the Dhimmin Kaba'il in Shatta wa Bilad in Shatta. That they will come from different places, different cities. So if nothing else, at least I'm from a different place and city than you. Even if many of you may be from the same place in the same city. Hmm? And we've come together to get the sukood, to get the, to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to get His pleasure. So that is our niyyah. That we, each and every one of us, want to become the true servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first prerequisite then, First thing to get these feelings, true feelings in the heart to be a true Muslim is to make true intention, truer intentions, truest intentions that we possibly can. So that's the first point for today. To try to be more and more conscious and more and more true in our intention. As we explained last night that you can't make a true intention for something that's a sign that that action is not true. That's a sign that that action is false. If you cannot make an intention licking an action, connecting that action to you, connecting you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His pleasure. If something cannot be called Allah pleasure seeking. You see everybody, every human has been made that they're a pleasure seeker. But the difference is that either you are seeking the pleasures of this world or you're seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everybody has this intention. 
For everything that they do in their life, they're seeking some type of pleasure. They're doing it for the sake of immediate pleasure or doing it for the sake of future pleasure. Human beings are pleasure seekers. But now we have to make ourselves not seeking the pleasure, unlawful pleasures of nafs or unlawful pleasures of dunya. We have to make ourselves such that we seek the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For that you have to have niyyah. You cannot do it without niyyah. In other words, each and everything we're mentioning today, if they're absent in our heart, that's why we're not true Muslimin. So don't think, this is some extra thing. These are the things that are missing in us. So be more conscious, more aware, more true in our intention. Second thing is dhikr. To remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But here we're talking about the feeling of dhikr. What does that mean? So there are two ways to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One way to classify it is there are two ways to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first is to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by our tongue. By our tongue, the dhikr lisani. So subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu akbar, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon, la hawla wa la quwta illa billah, maghera, etc. This is to make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by our tongue. And then there's another way to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is by our heart. Heartfelt zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a feeling. It's not an action, it's a feeling. That I want to feel that my heart is remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not even that my I'm going to make my heart do zikr. So there are some things here, everything is open to everyone. But there will also be some things that those of us who are already seekers on this path, who are salikin, they will be able to understand a bit more. Seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through doing His dhikr, by remembering. Remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our heart, that means to imagine that our heart is remembering His name, our spiritual heart, our qalb is doing the dhikr, Allah, Allah, Allah. Now why is this feeling so blessed? Because Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned hadith number one that the zikr of the heart is 70 times better than the zikr of the tongue. Why? Because Sayyidina Rasulullah said that on the day of judgment there will be someone who comes in front of Allah SWT. You see that this is a lover and a beloved. So sometimes the lover has public love for their beloved. But also every lover has a private love for their beloved. Every lover has in their heart a secret love for their beloved. So that secret love for the beloved, that is called zikr khafi in Arabic. So this zikr of the heart is our secret love for Allah SWT. So much so that even the angels don't know what it is. So that is the hadith that on the day of judgment a person will stand in front of Allah SWT and his book of deeds will be examined. And then there will be one line in his book of deeds where the angels have simply written that Allah SWT, there was some fragrance, some perfumed fragrance that was coming from him or her. We don't know what it is. So Allah Taala will tell the angels that yes, you did not know what it was. This was those times when in their heart my servant and slave was remembering me. So that sweetness of their zikr of me led to their heart to emanate a fragrance that you smelt, but you weren't able to know what it was. So imagine then if the sweetness of that zikr is so much that even the angels, kiram and katibin, and the right side angel can tell its fragrance. 
then imagine how sweet that heart must be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That person becomes the sweetheart of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. Allah Akbar. To become the sweetheart of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to make your heart sweet with the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the true mu'mineen are the sweethearts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. That's who the Siddiqeen and Sadiqeen are. But to become the sweetheart of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to sweeten your heart with the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar Kameera. Subhanallah wa bihamdi. Subhanallah Adeem. Such people, so much. This is the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam. Ummu Mu'mineen Sayyidatana Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anna she narrates that Qana Rasulullah sallam yudkurullaha ala kulli ahyan that Sayyidina Rasulullah used to remember Allah subhanahu ta'ala at all times. What does that mean at all times? So when the lover loves their beloved at all times, that's in their heart. It's a feeling of zikr. That feeling of dhikr is from their feeling of mahabba. That feeling of remembrance is from their feeling of love. It's not an act of the tongue. You cannot remember your beloved at all time with your tongue. You can't do it. You may have to be lecturing, teaching, studying, buying, selling, negotiating, daunting. <laughs> Sometimes your tongue may be busy in other things. But it's your heart that is remembering Allah SWT. And that's the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah to always remember Allah SWT in one's heart. This is the special method of the teaching of our line of Mashaikh that they teach us zikr kalbi they teach us how to remember Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala in our heart. <clears throat> now, this zikr of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala to remember Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala with the heart is easy to learn. And it's easy to do, easy to learn and easy to do, but very few people do it. So one reason that our shaykh mentioned was that because people are so busy with others in their heart, and one thing that people are so busy with is people are too fond of talking. The more and more you talk, and the more and more you activate your tongue and your mind, the less and less you will be able to activate your heart, because the heart is silent. The feelings of the heart are always silent. So the zikr of the heart is the silent zikr of the heart. But until we're silent and we learn how to be silent, we will never be able to feel and enjoy the sweetness of that zikr. And mashallah, today the people, they love to talk, and they talk, and they talk, and they enjoy talking. And when they get together, and they all talk with one another, and then when it becomes midnight, and 1 a.m., and then finally they're forced to leave, and this one's wife is calling, and the other one's wife is calling, and saying, where are you? Right? Then they part with one another so grudgingly and so difficultly. And then when they're driving home all the time, still they're lingering in the aftertaste of their talking and enjoying and saying, And then when they go home, they tell their wife that, oh, he said this and I said that. And they're remembering the talking and replaying the talking. That's how much they love talking. And the people who have the zikr of Allah SWT in their heart. So they're remembering Allah SWT in their heart. And they're enjoying it so much that they have to break themselves away. 
when something in the dunya causes themselves to break away, still they have that lingering zikr of Allah SWT in their heart. They have al-baqa'uba al-fana. They have that lingering zikr of Allah SWT in their heart. And then even if they're back at home or back here, still they're thinking Allah Ta'ala's name. They're still remembering their talking they did with Allah SWT. So you have to turn this tongue off to be able to turn this kalb on. And if we don't know how to turn this tongue off and we only enjoy the pleasure of talking, we will never know how to enjoy the pleasure of being silent. It's only when we become silent that the kalb gets that feeling of the zikr of Allah SWT. That's why our mashayikh say, ek chup ka mazai, ek bolne ka mazai. <laughs> one thing is the pleasure of speaking and one thing is the pleasure of being silent. This is true for everything in our deen. One thing is the pleasure of eating. One thing is the pleasure of being hungry. Hmm? Yes? You have to do mujahada. Mujahada in the beginning to feel this pleasure. What happens? Right? What does it mean? How do I get this pleasure of being hungry? So what happens is in the beginning you have to do mujahada. Mujahada mukhalafatun nafs. What does that mean? You have to force yourself to eat less. You have to force yourself. In the beginning it's difficult for you. It's not pleasurable. In the beginning it will be difficult for you to do it. But just one, two, three, four times you do it, then Allah Ta'ala will make you inshallah taste the pleasure of eating less. You will get a higher lutf and laza in your ibadah. Once you taste that pleasure of eating less, you will be hooked on that pleasure. Balki us lazat ki umid mein bhi aap agli Because you may not always get it. Maybe one out of ten times when you eat less, you get that lazat. But once you taste it, ek dafa aap chakle, to bus uski umeed bhi kaafi hai ke kam khaen. Ajeeb. Just the hope that you get that pleasure will be enough to make you eat less. Same thing for talking less. You'll have to force yourself to talk less. And it will be unpleasurable for you initially. But once you keep doing it few times, four times, then you will feel that pleasure of silence. Then when you taste the pleasure of your iman and your ibadat, halawat iman and lazat of ibadat by being silent, then you will be happily to be silent. Just in the hope that maybe you will get that pleasure again. So we have to learn that pleasure of being silent in order to get that zikr in our kalb. And that is why many times our Sayyidina Rasulullah and our Mashaykh, they used to be silent because they used to enjoy that silence. So here our Shaykh meant many signs on this, uh, many uh, incidents of the silence and stories and you can listen to that inshallah ta'ala when you listen to those talks once they're uploaded. But the point is that in order to get the enjoyment of the zikr of the heart, you have to learn how to get the enjoyment of silence. And when you get the enjoyment of the zikr of the heart, then you will be able to remember Allah SWT more and more and more. You will be able to remember Allah SWT more and more and more. Just one or two incidents we will mention, Alama Abdul Wahab Ash-Sharani one of the great awliya and fuqaha, shafi fiqih of this ummah, who wrote Al-Mizan Al-Kubra, and he's written several books on adab. And two, three of them are actually been translated into Urdu. And they were translated by Muhaddith, two out of the three, were translated by Muhaddith Zafar Ahmad Usmani Nabtale under the instruction of Shaykh Ashraf Ali Thani One, its title in Urdu is Hamse Ahad Liya 
One, its title is Urdu is Adabi Bandagi. And third one's title in Urdu, I can't remember right now. But here, there are three titles. So you can even read those books in Urdu. Our own Shaykh says he read Adabi Bandagi over a hundred times in his life. And when he said this, he said literally over a hundred. He made it a point to say, I have literally read it over a hundred times in my life. Allahu Akbar Kameena. Subhanallah. So Allama Abdul Wahab he has written in one of those books that the early Mashaikh and Oliya used to speak so little. They were so careful about speaking because they knew that every single word that they uttered would be examined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. So at the end of the day they would do muhasaba, they would write down every word they said and put it in front of themselves. Can you imagine how little a person must speak that by the end of the day they can remember every word they said and be able to write it down? And then Allah Shalana said that their word, when they wrote it down, it wouldn't even fill one page in their notebook. That's how little they used to speak. And us, mashallah, we are publishing <laughs> every day. <laughs> volumes and volumes of our malfuzat. Hum roz apne malfuzat we are just publishing our own words and sentences. Subhanallah. They used to have so much silence. And then if you look at the khutbahs of Sayyidina Rasulullah but this was his particular sham, jamil kalim, that ma'kallah wa ma'dallah, he used to speak brief and concise but extremely profound words. Once when Muhaddith counted one of his khutbah and it was just 133 words. 133 words. Now those who are students who know that the standard double space times new rope in 12 point font with one inch margins, that's 250 words on one page. 250. <laughs> this is 133 words. Allahu Akbar Kareena. Subhanallah. And you see many of the hadith of Sayyidina are so short, they're just sentences. They're just sentences. One sentence, two sentence, very few reach a paragraph. And just handful or more than a paragraph. Otherwise, it's almost all sentences. Not speaking very much. Then last story we will give about this issue of silence is Abdullah bin Mubarak Ta'ala. We'll just give you an ishara on this silence. That Abdullah bin Mubarak Ta'ala he said in his kitab al-Zuhud, he's one of the great Tabai Tabin. He has narrated in Sinan, Al-Mar'atu tatakallamu bil-Qur'ah. That there was a woman who for 20 years of her life, she only spoke the words of Qur'an. Because she was so afraid of her words being examined on the Day of Judgment. If anybody said anything to her, asked anything from her, she would find a way to somehow answer that person through some ishara, through some ayah. She would recite some ayah. Now can you imagine also the profound knowledge of Qur'an that this woman had? Not only is she a hafidha, an alima, an arifa of Qur'an, that anything in the world she could think of some ayah. <laughs> that is an also type of dhikr. That any and everything that happens to her in her entire life, she can connect it to some ayah of Qur'an. Kitni saaf zindagi hogi? Kitni paakizi zindagi hogi? What a pure and pristine life she must have. Look at our life, maybe hardly there are few moments of our life that we could connect with any ayah of Qur'an. 
Allah Akbar Kabeerah. Chalo then every now and then are told, Shaykh told some joke, then maybe we'll tell one, few of them every now and then. So one joke is that there's a story that there was once a king, a deep, huh? This is a problem. <laughs> there was a king and he said, I want to have a contest. And the winner of the contest, I'm going to give them a big prize. And what is the contest that who can tell the biggest lie? Who can tell the biggest lie? So, mashallah, <laughs> people were submitting entries after entry. Huh? Somebody was saying, this is a big line, this is a big line, this is a big lie. But the king said, no, 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 nothing like this. And then one person, he said, that, this is my entry. What was his entry? I saw four women sitting together and all four of them were silent. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> I saw four women sitting together and all four of them were silent. King said, this is the biggest lie. This is the prize winner. He will get the grand prize because it's not possible for four women to sit together and be silent. But actually, unfortunately, this is the case of the men also. Hmm? So much talking. Two men sit together talking. <laughs> Three men non-stop talking. Talking and talking and talking. Even if they get together for just two, three minutes. Even eight minute kamoko. They have to talk. All the time talking. So they're not able to get the pleasure of silence. Not able to get the pleasure of silence. And then, our sheikh even imitated it. He said, there's another way of talking now. If you see somebody silent, just lower your gaze. They're not actually silent. Okay. <laughs> On SMS. MashaAllah, there was a time when people used to take off with du'a, land with du'a. Of what happens up till the point of takeout. And then right before takeoff, they put it off. The second they land. Matab, it's amazing. You know. Everybody is, as soon as the wheels hit the ground, we see this more and more every time we fly. Everybody's hand goes inside for their phone and they start <laughs> talking, all the time talking. And for me, the what I view SMS as Twitter is, I call it micro ghafla. Yes, our students like to have micro finance and micro management. So this is micro ghafla. Kinsan ke pas 10 second hai, usko bhi kisi ghafla mein lagai. Pehle tum thai nahi, ki mein 10 second mein ghafla kaise hoon. Yehi aap Twitter, ek Twitter kar lo, ek SMS par lo. Micro ghafla have filled in a ghafla to the smallest possible time interval. So that it's filled up, no silence. Never letting a person be alone with their kalb. Always online, wireless, wired. Wired is a term they use. Hmm? Wired, hooked. Hmm? So we have to get unhooked and unwired from all of these things to get our heart hooked and wired and connected to the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first point was niyyah. First feeling was the feeling of always consciously making a true intention. The second point was the feeling of the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Always remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Next point is that deen of Islam is a deen of fitrah. Like we mentioned last night, the deen of Islam is a deen of fitrah. 
What does that mean that humanity was designed for deen, deen was designed for humanity? But what does that mean? The deen of Islam doesn't just teach us what to do in the masjid or what to do on the musalla. Deen of Islam gives us kamil mukammal hidayah. It teaches us every single thing covers our entire life. And not just what we should do in our entire life, covers all of our feelings to our entire life. So this concept of niyyah and concept of dhikr and then all of the other things we're going to mention today. If a person does them, they will be able to feel Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their entire life. That's a true Muslim. Who feels Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's presence and awareness and qurb fa inni kareeb. Their entire life. The, all of the hidayah of deen of Islam is trying to guide a person to that feeling. So that feeling of fear will make them not sin. The feeling of love will make them worship. The feeling of awareness and nearness and all of these feelings. So first feeling was niyyah. Second feeling was dhikr. Third point for today, but also there's some actions, is to remain in wudu. That we should be in wudu all the time. Yes. That we should be in wudu all of the time. Why? Because when you're in wudu, it's not just a physical thing. It's not just physicality. It's a feeling. There's the feeling that a person has when they're in wudu, and there's a feeling that a person has when they're not in wudu. This is the difference. And so what is our problem is right now we have a habit, and our habit, which means our habit, our adad, our norm, is that we're not in wudu. We're not always in wudu. We make wudu as and when needed. Right? Like the doctor gives you medicine and take it as and when needed. So we make wudu on demand. As and when needed. But otherwise it's not our other to remain in wudu. Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw someone always with wudu. And the Siddiqeen and Mashaikh and Awliya used to always remain in their wudu. And they used to teach people that they must always remain in wudu because there are many barakat. There are many blessings associated with wudu. First thing you can understand is that the three most important ibadat, which are salah, namaz, tawaf of the Kaaba, and tilawat quran For these three things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you have to be in wudu. Why? Because these aren't physical things. These are spiritual ibadat. It's a spiritual thing. Because when you're in wudu, your feelings will be boosted. And Allah Ta'ala wants you to feel these ibadat. So that means that wudu boosts our remembrance and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now me and you, definitely we must have that boost in namaz and tawaf and tilawah. But we need that boost all the time. If Allah Ta'ala has made something in our deen that amplifies our remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should want to have that all the time. Proof from Sahadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah The Prophet said that Al-Wudu Al-Wudu Salah Al-Mu'min That Wudu is the weapon <coughs> Allah Akbar Weapon of the believer Weapon Now if that person has a weapon And always has an enemy called Nafs And always has an enemy called Shaitan So don't you think they should always have their weapon with them? Wudu is the weapon of the believer. It is the weapon against shaitan. What does it mean? 
What can shaitan do? Shaitan puts waswasa, he puts bad thoughts in our mind. So you just have to try it. You can prove the hadith yourself. When you are in wudu, shaitan will be less able to do that waswasa. When you are not in wudu, he is more able to do that waswasa. Now we never realize because we're not taking hidayah. This is not aspect of siddiqeen. That's why Allah Ta'ala told us to take hidayah from them. Min nabiyyina was siddiqeen. Take hidayah from them. So we have not let ourselves be guided by the guidance of these teachings. If we had, you know, all those bad thoughts that we feel embarrassed about, maybe it was just this simple. If only we had simply just been in wudu at that time, we wouldn't have had those bad thoughts. All that time shaitan incited us to anger, or he incited us to envy. Maybe it was just this easy, if we had just been in wudu at that time, it wouldn't have happened. So we have to follow these teachings of Islam. It's not enough to just learn them. We have to live the teachings of Islam. You will feel the difference yourself. When you make wudu, you will be less distracted and more able to remember Allah Ta'ala in your heart. And when you're not in wudu, you will be more distracted and more more distracted from Allah Subh'anaHu Ta'ala and more engaged in the world. So wudu has a protective power. Wudu has a protective power. One Sahaba, he narrates about his own self, that once he was traveling, and he was traveling, uh, and he got lost on the way, he was going from either Makkah, Makkah, Madinah, I don't remember, to Sham, and on the way he got a bit lost, and when he got lost, he was trying to find himself, find the path, and he saw there was a dwelling, so he went and he knocked on the door, to ask for some guidance, directions, and he knocked on the door, nobody answered. Then he knocked a second time, and then he waited, and then knocked a second time again, then nobody answered. And then he waited some more, and then he knocked a third time, and when he knocked a third time, somebody opened the door. So anyway, this is a sunnah teaching of Sayyidina Rasulullah, that you may knock up to three times. Also means up to three rings, or for you it means three missed calls. Hmm? Yes, but up to three times. Hmm? So the third time the person opened, and he said that, I'm a traveler, I've lost my way, can you give me some directions? And sure enough, the person guided him. So after the person guided him, then after they spoke to so that sahaba, he asked him that, you know, why didn't you open the door on my first knock? Just asked him out of curiosity. So that person said that, I'm a Christian. And when you knock the first time, so it's night time, and normally nobody knocks at this time. So I didn't know if you were a friend or enemy, so I decided to ignore the first knock. When you knocked a second time, I started thinking to myself that maybe it's somebody who's needy. And I was thinking maybe I should answer. And then when you knocked the third time, I was sure that maybe it's a need. So when you knocked the second time, I thought that maybe it's you're needy. And therefore I should answer. So I went to go make wudu. Their own version, whatever it was, I made to do ablution, as I said in English. I went to do some type of wudu. And then that's why then by the time you knocked the third time, then I was able to answer. So then the Sahaba asked, why did you go do that? And he said that in our scripture it's written, that if we make wudu, we will be in the protection of God. So I wanted to make wudu before I opened the door, so I would have Allah Ta'ala's protection over me in case you were an enemy. Allah Akbar. And many times you find this, that what Sayyidina Rasulullah had told us in Hadith, are also things that Allah Ta'ala shared with earlier communities through the earlier prophets. 
So Sayyidina Rasulullah Al-Wudu is the weapon of the believer. So then imagine then that when you leave your home in a state of wudu, you may be protected from many things that may happen in the day. You may be protected from the hasad of the hasideen. You may be protected from the shar of the asrar. Wudu is shield. It's a protection for us. Second benefit of being in wudu, and this is, is true for everyone, but this may be even slightly more true for some women. And that is that one benefit of being in wudu is that whenever we are in wudu, it is easy for us to pray. There are some people who miss their salah simply for this reason, because they're not in wudu. Either they don't have time to make wudu, they don't feel like making wudu, they feel it's too cold to make wudu. They don't pray. Some people, like also maybe women who may not pray in Jama'ah and the Masjid, they delay their prayer for this reason. So it's time to pray, but they're not able to pray because they're not, they didn't keep their wudu, they didn't maintain their wudu. Maintain wudu means that anytime you break it, you immediately renew it. So because they didn't do that, so much of the time of the prayer keeps going and they're not praying simply because they're not able to, because they don't have wudu. And then they delay it in 10 p.m., 11 p.m., then they may fall asleep, they may go to sleep, right? Sometimes a person may be so foolish to tell themselves that I will go to sleep and pray Isha. <laughs> the person who never prays the Hajjad all of a sudden thinks that they're going to be able to go to sleep at 11 p.m. and wake up at 3 a.m. and make Isha. And sometimes this is the reason. I don't have wudu. <laughs> so actually they're not lazy about praying for some people. They're lazy about making wudu. If they had been in wudu, and those days they are in wudu, they pray happily and easily. They pray, and they pray early. But because they're not in wudu, they're not able to pray. So this is the big benefit of remaining in wudu, that you can pray anytime, anywhere that you are. Now when you are in that state, that you can pray anytime, anywhere, you'll be able to do it more, right? Anything in the world. Somebody says to you that I can do that anytime and anywhere. So you say the prayers, is easy for him. So being in wudu means that I can pray anytime and anywhere, right? And this is why you see that the people who work in the offices, in the corporate office, if they remain in wudu, then even if they're in a meeting, they can simply go and pray and come back. But if they don't have wudu, then they think to themselves that, okay, now I'll have to go and make wudu and pray and then come back. It may be longer period. It would have been better than that earlier when they went to the bathroom, they should have made wudu afterwards and gone into the meeting with wudu. And in any case, remember, it was a protection from them. <laughs> so look at how many things they lost in that meeting by not being in wudu. Then our shaykh mentioned that he has one surgeon who does organ transplant surgery, who is his student. And he said that I've never ever missed a salah. And he was saying this, that he was saying that the doctor should know that sometimes people, or even, forget doctors, the non-doctors love to come up with this example. That, ji agar koi surgery karo, to wo bhi kaise namaz pare. To tusi doctor hai bhi na. Right? Right? Most of them aren't even doctors who love to raise. This is one of their favorite questions of a particular mentality of people. Right? Trying to get out of Islam, one way or the other. Right? So this organ transplant surgery, which, Rahmatullah can correct us, right? But I think sometimes it must be quite complicated. And sometimes it must take quite a number of hours non-stop to do it, right? This person said, I never ever missed a prayer. Why? He said, my secret is I always remain in Muslim. 
So because I'm in wudu, if it's the most complicated of surgery, even then the physician's assistant, I can tell them to just do something for two, three minutes. I can right there in the corner operation theater, pray and come back. So what is the secret? Why did this person never miss their prayer? Because they had a habit of remaining in wudu. If we make that our habit, then we will be able to do more hifadah of our salah. More hifadah of our salah. Now, some one hadith to show you how much Sayyidina Rasulullah kept his wudu. Once Sayyidina Rasulullah in the daytime, Sayyidina Rasulullah was traveling somewhere with the Sahaba. And in those days, because they weren't bathrooms anyway, so he would go a bit into the wilderness, you can say, a bit inside to relieve himself. Then the Sahaba saw Sayyidina Rasulullah come and he made tayammum. And the Sahaba asked, Ya Rasulullah the stream, the river is right here. And you taught us that we can only make tayammum when we don't have the ability to use water, we don't have access to water. And the stream of water is just, you know, 20 paces away. So Sayyidina Rasulullah said, yes, this water is right there and I'm coming there to make wudu. But I did not want that even this one minute walk from this place to the water I should be without wudu. So I made tayammum here because this was immediately available to me. And now I will walk 30 seconds and make wudu with the water. Allahu Akbar means Sayyidina Rasulullah did not even want few seconds of his life to pass without being in a state of tahara. That's why Allah Ta'ala called wudu tahara in Qur'an, purity, purity. And Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَّابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَحِّرِينَ huh? Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala loves the mutatahireen. What is mutatahireen? The people who always constantly keep themselves on tahara. So that can be our niyyah in making wudu. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, you said in Qur'an that the mutatahireen are your mahbubin. So Allah Ta'ala, and mutatahrin has many meanings. It also means inward purity, purity of character, spiritual purity. But one meaning it definitely also has is this tahara, which in English they call ritual purity, purity of that state. So a person can make this niyad that Allah spent time making wudu and staying in wudu because I can become your mahboob. I want to become your mahboob through wudu. Huh? Is there any other love that you can get simply through using water? Huh? Allah Akbar. Become the mahboob of Allah SWT by making wudu. That's another tremendous, there could be no greater benefit of that. Once this benefit has been mentioned. So these are the benefits of always remaining in wudu. Then how should we do this practically? How to keep our wudu? So the first thing is that yes, if you want to maintain, remain in wudu, ye ek fun hai. Ye ek fun hai. You will have to watch what you eat. Yes? Why not? If there are some things in this world, if a doctor tells you that if you eat this, your blood pressure will go up, if you eat this, your sugar will go up, people stop eating it. So if you know about yourself, and it's going to be out of 100% of edible items in the world, it's going to be 1% of them that have this effect on you, that they create bloating or glass, or they lead you to lose your wudu, just stop eating those things. For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for this niyyah, that if I stop eating this item, then I will be able to keep and remain in my wudu longer. And I will have this protection and barakah and dhikr and mahbubiyah and everything we mention longer. 
So yes, you will have to practically make some steps in strategy to be a person who always remains in wudu. So one aspect is yes, to make sure that we try not to eat those things that we notice that cause our wudu to be broken again and again. So one aspect is simply this diet. Right? What greater reason could there be to diet? To have to watch our diet from particular foods. Second is we should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After every salah, at tahajjud, after we read Quran, after every ibadah, that oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to spend my whole life in a state of wudu. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to spend my whole life in a state of wudu. Allah ta'ala, please make it easy for me. Allah ta'ala, please make it easy for me. If we make this dua sincerely, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it easy for us. If we make this dua sincerely, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, insha'Allah ta'ala, will make it easy for us. So here again, our shaykh gave many different stories about, uh, about keeping wudu. And insha'Allah, when you listen to those recordings online, you can listen to the many different stories of many of the akabar of this ummah, how they kept wudu. Another benefit of this is that another benefit of this is that Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith that the manner in which you die will be based on the manner in which you live. However, whatever was your adha and your norm in life, that will be how you die. So if our life is such that our life is spent trying our best to remain in wudu, then inshaAllah when we die, Allah Ta'ala will take our ruh when we are in a state of wudu. This is also something. Our Siddiqeen said, Ye bhi matloob or maksood hai. This is also something that we should want. Because death can come to us in one of two situations. Either we are in halat al-wudu or we are not in a state of wudu. That person who spends their entire life remaining in wudu and trying to do so, they can be more hopeful that when they pass away, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would take their soul in a state of wudu. And if they are in a state of wudu, then some of our mashayik have mentioned then that process of death. Hmm? Sakratul Mot, that process of death is a bit easier. There's more ease and less pain when the angel of death extracts our ruh, if that ruh is being extracted from a person who is in a state of wudu. There are so many benefits to remaining in wudu. So the first point is niyyah, second point was dhikr, third point is to remain in wudu. Fourth point, is the Musnoon du'as. What is that? That Sayyidina Rasulullah taught us du'as for every occasion. Why? Again, those du'as are about feelings. Because Sayyidina Rasulullah listen to this carefully. Sayyidina Rasulullah was having feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on every simple occasion of his life. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before going to bathroom. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after leaving bathroom. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when leaving home. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when returning home. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when taking off clothing. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when putting on clothing. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before eating. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after eating. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before sleeping. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon waking. Feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after sneezing. Hmm? 
Allah Akbar. So many feelings, his heart was overflowing with feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. That's why these Muslim du'as, he was just expressing these feelings all the time. Like that pot which is overflowing, keeps spilling out the water. So actually the Muslim du'as are the feelings of the heart of Sayyidina Rasulullah that were spilling out on his tongue. That's what Muslim du'as are. Don't think that you have to write some books in the book and you have to No, no, no. The du'as of Sayyidina Rasulullah was the nur of his kalb. Was the nur of his kalb that was spilling out on his tongue and we should go and get the drops of nur from his tongue. Allahumma. That's why we want to make these musnoon du'as. There's nothing to say in that. The nur drops of Sayyidina Rasulullah New term for you. Nur drops. Nur drops of Sayyidina Rasulullah That is the masnoom du'as. Subhanallah. When he used to go to sleep, Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya. Well, subhanallah, it's in your name that I, means that I sleep and I will wake. Literally that I die and I'm revived. It is in your name. Means I can't even do a basic bodily function such as sleeping without thinking of you and taking your name, Bismika. The Ismika, with your name. Kitna naam us dil par likha tha. Subhanallah. The name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was inscribed on the heart of Sayyidina Rasulullah. We have to get hidayah from the source of hidayah. We have to be guided by this guidance. We have to make these du'as, otherwise we won't be feeling, we won't be true mu'mineen. If we don't get these feelings and we don't make these du'as. All of us have heard the word masnoon du'as. Probably many of us in our homes have so many small books and booklets of masnoon du'as. But we don't use them, we're not guided by them, we don't feel them, we don't get those feelings. Subhanallah. That is one of the major teachings of our Mashaik and Awliya. They keep pushing us. Learn the Muslim du'as, read the Muslim du'as, understand the Muslim du'as, feel the Muslim du'as. You have to do it, it's a process. You have to put yourself through that process. Then Sayyidina Rasulullah also mentioned du'a for going through the market. Whenever you pass through the market, La ilaha illallah wahtahu la sharika la lahul mulku wa lahul hamdu yuhyu wa yumeed bi yadihil khair wa huwa ala kulli shayin kadir. I remember in 1994, I was walking with Sheikh through Springfield, Virginia Mall, Arlington, Virginia Mall. And Sheikh looked at me and said, this hadith, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah. Since that day up till now, I still remember that du'a. Kabhi kuch aise barkat hoti hai, koi baat kaan mein aati hai, kisi dil wale se baat kaan mein a jai na, to wo baat prasidu dil mein a jati hai. Sometimes when I was in university and I would be driving, I would deliberately drive through the busy parts of New York so I could recite this du'a through Times Square. Driving through these places in New York. MashaAllah. Because you will enjoy it. You will get a pleasure. Because there's pleasure in deen. Don't think in me, it's the deen. <laughs> if I tell you I enjoy chocolate ice cream, I'm not praising myself. <laughs> I'm just telling you that there's, there's something that's pleasurable. <laughs> this pleasure in these Muslim du'as, when you go in the car and the car takes off, you start driving Masnoon Everything that a person does, 
When a person you visit a person who is sick, dua. When you look at the moon, dua. Subhanallah. When a person has a baby, dua. When a person gets married, dua. All the time, the newer drops of Sayyidina Rasulullah So, so many different du'as for so many different occasions. And we should make these du'as. One benefit of making this du'a, like we mentioned, first benefit, just to repeat, is that you get those feelings. You get those feelings. Remember that niyyah in dhikr? Vudu helps you get that niyyah in dhikr. The first two things were mentioned with the foundation of everything we say. Keeping and staying in wudu, you will get that niyyah in dhikr. Making these musnoon du'as, you will get that niyyah in dhikr. So by doing these things, we remain in our niyyah in our dhikr. Get those feelings, feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, that person who says that Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya, how is he going to feel? He's going to feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tucks them into bed. And you're like the child wants the parent, ki mujisulai. The abbatain and the one person first feeling, he changed his clothes for the sunnah of sleepwear. And then he made the sunnah dua. So what's the feeling is going to sleep feeling that I'm blanket wrapped in the sunnah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is putting me to sleep. Subhanallah. <laughs> huh? What a beautiful deen. Our deen is a deen of true feelings. Our deen is a deen of beautiful feelings. Second benefit of this dua is that many of the Masnoon du'as, not all, but many, most even we can say, start with Alhamdulillah. Many start with Alhamd. So what does it mean? You are constantly doing the Hamd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that means you are constantly doing the Shukr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if throughout the day you make these Masnoon du'as, then you will be amongst the Shakirin. Because you are constantly being grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so many benefits of shukr. That's going to come a bit later. Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam's du'as are hidayah. What does it mean? He taught us du'as that we could have never come up with ourselves. All the people in the entire ummah could have combined their effort. They would have never been able to come up with such beautiful expressions. So why not get that beauty from the source of beauty, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam? Why not get that beauty and Allah subhanahu wa poured all beauty into Sayyidina Rasulullah So when we get up in the morning and then we make wudu, we go to work and then Sayyidina Rasulullah used to make a dua, right? When he used to leave the home, Jesus would make a dua when he used to come back to home. So all of these things are going to give us barakah. Give us barakah. How do we know that maybe when we, uh, if only we had made this dua when we left home. And again, it's a feeling. When a person makes this dua when they leave their home, so their feeling is number one, that I am leaving my home to seek the bounty that Allah Ta'ala has sent me out of His pleasure. Number two, I am leaving my family, children in the protection of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So it's a feeling. So a person feels so happy. And mashallah, it's a feeling of tawakkul. How are you going to get that feeling of tawakkul? You can get that feeling of tawakkul every day by making that dua when you leave home. 
then a person is so happy. Right now a person says, okay, I am sitting in office, but Allah Ta'ala has gift-wrapped my whole house with His protection. So he's happy. <laughs> Taking his whole home and family is gift-wrapped by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. It's a feeling, feeling. The Musnoon du'as bring a person to feeling. Then a person consciously, niya and dhikr, conscious feeling, is when I'm going out, when I'm going to earn what Allah Ta'ala riskiest place for me. I'm not going to work at the company. I'm going seeking the bounty of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Company is just the place where I do that. It's a different way of feeling. It will change the way you perceive your dunya. And when you have those feelings of dhikr when you work, then you will have less bad thoughts and less sins when you work. Less bad thoughts and less sins when you work. So this was another dua. Here, let me finish. We were talking about the dua of leaving the home. Similarly, dua when one returns home, so if you make the dua upon returning home, your feeling will be, again, that Allah Ta'ala, I am returning back to that sanctuary, to that sanctity, that place that you have given me. And when a person comes back to home with that dua, Allah Ta'ala will make that home a place of sukoon for them. So many times these arguments and fights that take place in the home and the household, we, don't, we have underestimated the power of these du'as. Maybe all of this is happening just because we didn't make the sunnah du'a when we left home and we didn't make the sunnah du'a when we entered home. Don't underestimate the power of the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. And especially the spiritual power to affect our heart's feelings. So we should make these du'as. Another Muslim du'a was to make the du'a after Azan. Hmm. Also you should think that if you don't, the way you should think is that if you don't make these du'as, when you leave the home and return to home, so you have left you because you didn't make the du'a, then I'm leaving this in the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it means that you left your home unprotected. Like people today who have alarm systems, they make sure they always turn the alarm on. They have locks, they make sure they lock. And if they don't lock and they don't put the alarm, they get scared all day. So then a person should feel, I didn't make these du'as, so I didn't leave the home in the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah ta'ala said, you have an enemy. His name is Shaitan. And he is Aduwum Mubin. He is your open, manifest, clear, die-hard enemy. فَاتَّخِذُوا أَدُوبًا View him as an enemy. This can mean many things. View him as an enemy. Take the protection that the deen has given you against the enemy. That is the wudu and that is the musnoon duas. Would anybody, if you had a human enemy, would you like to leave your home unprotected and leave your wife and children for that enemy to come in anytime he wants? But that's exactly what we do when we don't make those musnoon dua when we leave home and return home. These du'as were part of the hidayah of the deen. We have to make ourselves guided by the guidance of deen in order to become true mu'mineen. Then this du'a after the adhan. So du'a after the adhan is something that we should make even if we don't hear the adhan. Maybe we're in some country or right some place. Some of us may find ourselves in some places sometimes where you don't hear the adhan. You should say, but it's my duty that five times a day I have to make this du'a. Yes, it's a very important du'a. Even some people who inshallah just stick to this du'a five times a day, that will give them barakah in following the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah 
Sometimes a student asks that why is it difficult for me to follow the sunnah? Or say I want to follow the sunnah but I find it hard to follow the sunnah. Because you haven't attached your heart yet strongly enough to say Rasulullah and those threads through which you were supposed to be attached, these musnoon du'as and especially in this particular point that du'a after adhan where you make du'a to Allah subhanahu wa to bestow upon the Prophet the maqam in Mahmood. Where actually Allah subhanahu wa already told Sayyidina he's going to get it. But Sayyidina included you in it, that you should also make dua that Allah That's known to the Prophet with yaqeen. Because every Sayyidina his part of his nabuwa is everything that he knows is at the daraja of yaqeen. He doesn't have any skeptical knowledge that maybe Allah will give me maqam, maybe not. No, whatever he knows, he knows for sure. But still he taught that, no, I want my ummah also to make dua for me. Why? So that, why? So that when Allah Ta'ala gives me that maqam in Mahmood, that I know Allah SWT is going to give me, I can tell Allah SWT, although I know and Allah Ta'ala knows that He gave it to me out of His own wish, but I also be able to tell Allah Ta'ala that, look, this is my ummah who made dua that I get this maqam in Mahmood. So you gave me this maqam in Mahmood, so forgive my ummah who used to make that dua for me. Allah Subhanallah. Well, we have to make that dua then. <laughs> you make that dua five times a day. Hmm? 365 times a year. That's 1825 times. And let's say you live, you make that dua for 40 years of your life. And that's quite a lot of times. That's about 72, 75,000 times you've made that dua. Hmm? Subhanallah. It's about feelings. It's feeling heartfelt relationship with Sayyidina Rasulullah. So these are the masnoon du'as that we should make. Du'a before eating, du'a after eating. This week many times I've explained this one to you before. And when Sayyidina Rasulullah used to make du'a after eating, Alhamdulillah. Hmm? First, sorry, bismil, before eating, Bismillahi wa ala barakatillah. How do you know? You don't make that dua. Maybe there was barakah in that food. Maybe the barakah in that food was precisely this, that you would have used that food for ibadah. You would have gotten such energy from that food, you would have prayed fajr after that dinner, the next morning. But you didn't recite the dua. So you didn't get the barakah in the food. So you weren't able to pray fajr the next morning. It's that simple. It's that simple, is deen. And then again, that person who eats, so like you, huh? Mashallah, when our friends, they like to eat in Pakistan, they have so many condiments, what you call, right? Like a sprinkle a bit of this and a dash of that and the raita and the chutney and the char and all your little condiments, right? And you only enjoy your food if it has that. So how could you enjoy your food without sprinkling the barakah of Allah subhanahu wa on it? How can you enjoy your food without sprinkling the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on it? Bismillahi wa ala barakatillah. Hmm? And then that person, don't you see the child, this is my favorite ice, so what can I do? My favorite example. Don't you see the child that wanted chocolate ice cream? And you bring out the vanilla, and he looks at you. Then you take out the chocolate syrup, and then he starts smiling at you. And then you pour the chocolate syrup on the ice cream, and then he's loving you. Hmm? Then he's loving you. And then he enjoys eating it with the chocolate syrup. So just like that, niya and zikr. 
So the awareness and consciousness of feeling of a person when they eat, when they say Bismillahi wa ala barakatillah, is they put the chocolate syrup of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the blessings of Allah ta'ala on that food, or they're enjoying that food. Enjoying that food? They're getting spiritual lazats from that food. Let alone the tongue lazat from that food. Hmm? To make use of these du'as, it's a beautiful life. It's a true life. Even just the Muslim du'as, fine, you don't have the ilm of all the hadith. Even if you just learn these few du'as, you will have enough insight into the beauty and pure beauty of the life of Sayyidina Rasulullah Just from these du'as. And after he eats, Alhamdulillah amana wa sakana wa ja'alana muslimin. Just take the first part, Alhamdulillah. So when he's done eating, he's praising and doing hamd and shukr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was a feeling. Feeling that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fed me this meal. So now the child, not only does he have the vanilla ice cream with the chocolate syrup on it, he also feels that his beloved spoon fed him every single bite of that chocolate fudge sundae. That's how Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu felt. Ham to aise kehte hain, aise lagta hai ki jab Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam ye dua padte the, to he felt that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala lukma lukma khud mumida. Isne ham padte the. Aur waqi aisa hai. Matlab waqi ye nahi ki Allah Taala ka koi haath hai, magar actually Allah Taala al-rizq hai. Means that in reality it is the case because Allah Taala is the giver of our sustenance. He is the one who has given us every morsel that we eat. A person who feels like that when they eat, hmm? imagine what they're going to do with those calories. <laughs> they're going to use those calories will be noor for them, noor, not just physical energy. They will be pure noor that they will use in ita and obedience and ibadah and worship and dhikr and remembrance. All of this is through the du'as, but remember, feeling the du'a, getting the feelings of the du'a. Because our deen is a deen about feelings. The people of feelings of the Siddiqeen and Sadiqeen, we have to get the feelings from the people who felt those feelings. So these are the different du'as that Sayyidina Rasulullah, some again, a few of the du'as that Sayyidina Rasulullah taught us, begin with those that occur daily. And within that, begin with those that you do more than once a day. So do after Adhan five times a day, make sure you do that. Do before after eating, mashallah. Some of you do that also five times a day. <laughs> right? So do that. Sleeping is also done one, two, three times a day. So start with those du'as. Wonderful, we would love you to also know the du'as of visiting the sick and congratulating the groom. But those aren't daily. So begin with those that are daily and those that are multiple times daily so you get the maximum nur quicker. Those are few du'as you have to remember. Leaving home, coming back to home, we also do that number of times a day. If you go to the masjid, then you do that at least five times a day. So that's also multiple times daily. Next point. So, for basic points for today was niyyah and zikr. Well, why don't I do this? Because some people came late. So let me review very briefly some of the things that we did at the beginning. As far as the points go, the basic points of feeling like a true Muslim is to become a person of niyyah and a person of dhikr. Niyyah meant an awareness of the heart, a consciousness of the heart, an 
outlook of the heart, our intention and approach to every single thing we do in our life should be that we are doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be a way of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala everything should somehow connect our heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so everything we do becomes heartfelt everything we do we have some feeling about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the second basic point was dhikr that we should always be remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time and that dhikr is not an act or a statement the dhikr that we do all the time is also a feeling of remembrance and that is also a feeling of our heart and then the rest of everything that we did and are going to do is how to get these feelings so then the practical step number one was to remain in wudu all the time due to all of his different barakat and blessings and protections and practical step number two was to make use of these musnoon du'as for ittibai sunnah and to get the nur of the feelings of Sayyidina Rasulullah into our heart and then the very first thing that we mentioned in the early in the beginning of the morning session was that why was this titled how to be a true Muslim the way of the Siddiqeen and Sadiqeen well, number one, we want to tell you again, for those who may have come late, that all that, that the Siddiqeen and the Sadiqeen are those believers who will always, there will always be such people until the Day of Judgment. Because everything that is in Qur'an will remain a reality until the end of time. Number two, that Allah Ta'ala has taught us in Qur'an that the Siddiqeen are a source of hidayah for us. That our deen is not just about words and sentences and texts and books. Our deen is about people. Guide us to the straight path, the path whom you have blessed. Another ayah in Quran. That those whom Allah Ta'ala has blessed are the prophets, the true followers of the prophets, the martyrs and the salihin, the righteous ones. So we need to get hidayah from Siddiqeen. In Quran, Allah Ta'ala told us, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, ittakullaha wa kunu ma sadakeen, that O oh, you who believe, have taqwa and be with the sadakeen. Now then we wanted to share with you what that is, because unfortunately this has become the forgotten treasure and the lost legacy of this ummah, these great Siddiqeen and their teachings. So the best way to show you that is Alhamdulillah we had opportunity to spend eight, nine, ten days with our Shaykh and every single thing that he taught those people who were fortunate by Allah subhanahu wa to be with him, we are not everything we are going to give you a summary and an overview of that. And then inshallah, and that was all in English, so relatively rare that our Shaykh speaks in English. So, Kalrat Jubatim say Urdu Misunati and Urdu Misunati. Aj English Misunati, English Misunati. Hum just, our Shaykh Bikate, we're just a postman. So we get the dog, we get the mail from the central post office and we give it to the local mailboxes. That's it. And we hope that by our hand touching the envelope, Allah Ta'ala will forgive us also. So we actually just come to deliver you some mail. But we wanted to let you know that if you want to listen to the mail in more detail, that inshallah on these different websites, first is our Sheikh's own website, www.tasawwf.org, and then we'll probably put it up later on our own website, islamicspirituality.org, you'll be able to listen to these teachings in detail.
but it's important for you to know that what are the teachings of the Siddiqeen, what is the life of the Siddiqeen, what is, what is this learning that takes place. So inshallah, if in one day we can give you an overview of that, and I'm hopeful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even up till now we have realized that how valuable and precious and priceless and golden these teachings are. This is called hidayah. But we have to be guided by that guidance. So that is our niyyah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want your pleasure. I want to be pushed towards the path of your pleasure. I want to be drawn to the path of your pleasure. I want to be attracted to your path of your pleasure. I want you to give me tawfiq, the blessing that can only come from you to do all of these things. I mean, look at our state. We don't even have tawfiq to say alhamdulillah after we eat. I mean, look at our hal. How little tawfiq we have. We can't even remember to say the sunnah, du'a after adhan, even when we hear the adhan. So I was saying we should say it even when we don't hear it. So when we look at we have to be honest, this is our real need. We cannot have a true society unless the people are true. It's not possible. So all of those people who love to talk to you, this is another bad and facade, if you ask me. Although many of them may be genuine in their intention and sincere in their iman, but it's misguidance. Remember all this also. All misguidance is not vulgar. Some misguidance is very sophisticated, very attractive, very appealing. But the notion that you can fix the society without fixing the individuals is impossible. It's never happened in the entire history of the Ummah. And this is why our own field, because my own field is history in terms of academics, but really because we don't know our history. If Muslim, young Muslims knew history, then they would be able to see what was the way historically that the Ummah has formed. The same way throughout history the Ummah has made itself true is the same and only way they can make itself true today. There can never be a new way. Historically, true individuals made true families, who made true communities, who then combined to make true societies and then true polities and then a true civilization. This is always the case in 1400 years of our history. Never can it happen that you can have a true society without true individuals. So we have to make ourselves true. We have to make, we love in Pakistan to critique the system that's out there. But what about this system that is in here? <laughs> that person who doesn't, who claims they follow the sunnah, but doesn't have the feelings of the sunnah, do they deserve a society of justice? Do they deserve the Madani society when they don't have a Madani cult? Do they deserve the Madani society when they don't have the Madani feelings? Do they deserve a Madani society when they don't have the Madani adab and akhlaq themselves? Hmm? Do they deserve a Madani society when they don't have the Madani yaqeen and tawakkul? So Sahaba got that. Then they got Fatimakka. <laughs> sahaba got those sifat. Then Allah Ta'ala gave them washana. So this is the way of our Ummah. This is the way of our deen. This is the way of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and this is the continuing legacy, continuing way of the Siddiqeen and Sadiqeen of this Ummah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept us for this deen. Wa akhirun da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.